You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Coming to you from the Hell's Kitchen area of Midtown Manhattan, right smack dab in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket. It's a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make those happen. As many of you know, and if you don't know, then allow me to explain it to you. Uh, Your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater in smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of my husband and my play at The Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guest will be executive director of the 35-year-old, LGBTQ-focused, pioneering, critically lauded, and multiple award-winning, and even more last night from what I understand, the L.A.-based Celebration Theater... Michael Chris Falusi. He's awesome. He's just a wonderful guy. Big, nice guy, cool, warm, warm, fabulous. We'll be bringing Michael on in just a few minutes, but first I'd like to talk about something that I think Michael himself could definitely speak to. The challenges and learning curve of keeping a smaller theater running. Now, in my research, my research, I found a great article off the Wall Street Journal entitled, What It Takes to Keep a Community Theater Running. Now, this is written in November 2014, and it features three community theaters. Um, From my my research, it appears that all of these theaters are still running, but it was back in 2014. Um, But I I think they are. The first one that they mention is the Phoenix Stage Company in Naugatuck, Connecticut. Now, this is founded by Ed Bassett, Sharon Wilcox, and Agnes Dan. Um, When they opened, they started by producing standards like The Glass Menagerie and Dial M for Murder, but found that the local theaters around them that they were in competition with were already satisfying the needs for those standards, so they kind of got hit hard in ticket sales and and success for that. So they ditched the idea of presenting those and began producing newer material, putting out a call for original material, which netted uh, 400 submissions. And as someone who submits uh, scripts all the time, I can tell you that that's that's a nice thing to to come across when you're looking for... um, companies that are interested in, in, in new projects. It's, it's nice to see that, um, that theater companies out there are open to new work. They keep the cost low by recruiting volunteers for the theater tasks by borrowing costumes, uh, props, and sets. Um, 
And they even created this concept called Tweet Seats, which allowed theater uh, Twitter followers who come to the theater to sit in the back of the theater and tweet about the production. So that's, a, that's an interesting idea, considering the fact that most, most uh, productions don't allow you to have your cell phone on. So I'm kind of, I wondered how that, how that works. Um, then there's the Aspen Community Theater in Aspen, Colorado. Uh, they've been producing shows for four decades, and their their strategy is to produce one big musical in the fall, right before ski season. Uh, they'll do something like Music Man or Little Shop of Horrors or The Producer, something like that. And they have stated that their challenge is identifying reaching out to a community that has become more transient. I suppose that there are people moving in and out of Aspen, Colorado all the time, if that's their, their issue. So um, they, they constantly, I guess, are... are striving to update their database and I guess having one big musical every year is probably a good idea for them because they can broadcast it all year and you know it's, it's it, that seems that seems like it makes sense to me so um, the third company is called the Manatee Players in Bradentown Florida I love that name because I love manatees they're fun big fun sea creatures um, they formed in 1947, and their strategy became to win over local business partners in the area. Um, they recently opened a $22 million facility that was funded with donations from community groups. Um, and the, their message in reaching out to them was to promote the, theater, the theater's importance to the community, um, which is great, especially in this day and age. Um, they were not always so successful. Back in the 90s, they hit hard times after a series of unsuccessful shows, so they re-strategized and they formed community alliances. Um, one of them was that they, the local Kiwanis organization kicked in $1.45 million to the new facility when they were building it in exchange for the ability to hold events there. So that was a nice way to leverage costs. But they still have to trim costs, so... They have come up with a strategy of doing um, their playbills in-house and also consolidating all the shows into one playbill. So that seems, you know, smart. Um, and also they, they started utilizing more social media, which, of course, is what I believe all um, theater companies are doing these days because it can be a lot cheaper and you could reach out to a lot more. So to me, bottom line, it appears that each theater is consistently reevaluating and establishing their formula for success. Now, I know that with, uh, with David and my play at The Flash, we do the same thing with that in trying to market it. So you're always paying attention to, to society and to trends and, and to um, uh, the demographics of your area and, and really just sort of having to be nimble with your, your marketing. So... I just thought that that was a, uh, something that uh, my listeners would really like to hear about because it shows all of the different tacks that people have to take based upon those variables and being, having successful theaters. So anyways, okay, now for our guest. As I indicated earlier, today's guest is the man behind the best of LGBTQ Los Angeles theater, Michael Chris Felusi. Hi, Michael, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Hi, Sean. Thank you for having me today. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, I remember th the first time I met Michael, it was when David and I were doing At The Flash back in, I think it was 2013, at the Celebration Theater. They asked us to come in for, um, I think, three weeks, and we extended uh, for two more. And it was such an honor to 
to do the show in our hometown, because David and I, even though we live in New York, uh, are both from Southern California and, and, and Los Angeles, and, um, and, and then to be asked by such a, pres- a prestigious LGBTQ theater organization. And it was just, it was really fun and such a great run. And, and to this date is David's favorite place to do the show. He loved doing it there in in the stage that well that was the older stage that you guys were were on since you've uh, you've got a you've gotten a new um, you you guys have opened up a new theater out there and uh, that's really exciting. It's it's exciting. It's a, a little fewer a little fewer. It's fewer seats um, by maybe ten or so, uh, but the house is being filled more, which is great news. Oh, that's that's sensational. Well, let's start a little bit with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your creative theater passion? I am a 57-year-old single man, and I repeat, single. <laughs> um, and I've got two, two great millennial children now who are older and making me realize just how old I am because they constantly tell me. Um, I came out of the financial world. I, I worked for some of the big names in banking and investment banking, including Payne Weber and when it was Payne Weber and um, Society Key, Key Bank out of Cleveland. So that was that was the world I grew up in. But I had been an avid theater goer for since since the um, mid seventies. I remember going to see Women of the Year and getting to meet Lauren McCall after the show and. I was a teenager, but I was starstruck. Wow. And it stuck with me. And then when I was living in New York, I decided to take some acting classes. And I went to the T. Schreiber um, studio to start taking my classes. And then my teacher left and formed her own studio, and I followed her. And it was liberating. It was exciting. And it got me thinking that, oh, I could be an actor. And so I thought, well, I'll just go out to L.A. and become a TV star, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) But I got out here and realized that wasn't the case and ended up connecting with a theater company because theater is my love. And um, I've been there almost, it's going on 10 years now. Wow. So I I have been involved with some great shows and, and I... I just love the idea of getting people in to see a live production uh, because in the end, that's what I think satisfies me the most is, is watching, watching the reaction and talking to them after the show and hearing how much they enjoyed it. That's terrific. So you, you fell in love with theater as a, te- as a teenager uh, after seeing Woman of the Year, and then you, you kind of had a pause because you raised you raised a family and then you went into finance and it wasn't until you'd said about 10 years ago that you 2004 I started taking classes oh, and then wow. in 2006 I moved to LA oh cool it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with Victoria Cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Excellent. And, but I had been going to the theater constantly and, in fact, taking my children to New York when they were young to get them um, in, interested in the theater. And I am happy to say that that worked. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's. It's. I love to hear that. I love to hear that people take their kids to the theater, and even if they don't want to be in the theater, they at least find a love for it and an enjoyment in it. Exactly. And it's those kind of people that that buy the tickets and pay the bills. <laughs> if we don't, if we don't get that generation interested in theater, we're dead. Yeah, precisely, and especially in lieu of uh, current events. Exactly. Um, was there any one particular moment that you can remember where you thought, I want to go back and, and I want this to happen? Like one defining specific moment where you're like, where it, it just clicked in your mind? Um, actually, it was during a, session, a, a class at, at um, uh, Mary Boyer's studio. And it was, we were doing an exercise uh, called angels and demons basically where um you you have to answer questions um and the questions are random and she hit me with a question that i wasn't quite prepared to answer and she just kept pushing and i looked over at her and i said i hate you right now and but i answered the question and it was the first time i'd ever said that i was a gay man out loud to people, to people since I was an adult and it was liberating to me and that's the moment I realized I, I need to do this. I need to be involved with um, this for good. Now, was it, uh, were you interested in becoming involved just in, in theater and acting in general or... Did that make you think, I need to be involved with this, with uh, an LGBTQ-type theater? It made me wanting to be involved in theater, period. And I did a couple plays in New York, and then I got um, asked to be in some films, and I ended up producing a film. And um, But theater was always my love, and I, I acted in the film that I produced because, of course, I could, I could um, help with the casting and pick myself. Oh. <laughs> it's always better when you when you're when you're in charge and you say no I want to do this role right <laughs> I know this from experiences yes. I have a husband who who gets to do that himself <laughs> yes. as um, executive director I would imagine that you wear quite a few hats uh, there at the theater I myself have seen you doing many things there at the theater in my brief time there. Um, what do you consider your forte or your specialty? My, my forte is making the patrons feel at home and making them feel that they want to come back to see our shows. And I think that's one of the biggest things that um, I do. It, it, helps, it helps certainly with bringing patrons back to, to see the next show and the show after that. Um, and it helps me to connect to our patrons so that I can raise money for these shows because they don't come cheap and they don't, um, they don't come with, with automatic funds. Right. 
Yes, there, there's a lot of, of asking for money, uh, requesting money. Uh, yes, I feel like my whole job is either to mop the floor or raise money. <laughs> well, you know, I've seen you uh, working the lobby, not, not just when we did At The Flash, but in, in many of the other wonderful shows I've seen at Celebration Theater. And it, it, it seems that that's... It's almost like you're like the head mater d at a restaurant at times where you you work the room and you you make everybody feel important and that that seems it's that's very grassroots in my opinion and it seems like a small theater really depends upon that as you build. We we do and I I started um it's difficult to get volunteers to come in and cover the different um things we need like the concessions area and the box office and so the box office became my, my forte, basically, um, to getting to know our audience because they had to check in with me. I got to see their names and see who they were, and that way I could then um, call, speak to them later on in the show, after the show, and call them by their names and, and know them when they came back. So running the box office allowed me to be the first one to greet everybody and to get to know them. Oh, that's that's. That's very, very smart, and I always say, um, particularly in smaller theaters, that the box office, the the people that you see as you're entering the theater, they're the ones that are going to set the tone for how you feel about the show. Exactly. If we don't don't make them feel welcome right there, they go inside feeling um, unhappy already. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I've... Uh, I've during talk back, talkbacks with various shows that I've uh, gone to. Um, I always, if if I can, try to mention the uh, the box office team and the the house management team um, because again, like you said, it, that's really an important element. Um, it is, and a lot of people don't realize that, but it it really is. It sets the tone for the audience going in. Indeed. Now I know that you're the executive director, and then you have two co-artistic directors at Celebration yes, Theater. Um, tell me about those guys. Those guys, are they are both award-winning directors, um, Michael Matthews and Michael Shepard. There's a lot of Michaels in our theater. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so we all have nicknames, and I won't go into the nicknames because um, we have two nicknames, the one we, we call each other in public and the one we call each other in private. <laughs> Um, but they are they're brilliant Um, Michael Matthews has a way of taking a show and stripping it down so that it is the story that's being told Mm -hmm. and um, no matter whether it's a musical or a play and Michael Shepard has a way of, of making sure the joy of whatever is in that play whether it's a a serious drama or a bright musical he's, he has a way of making sure that people see the joy in those shows oh indeed yeah i've seen shows by both and and you're you're absolutely right that's that's a great way to to sort of encapsulate their both of their visions and their executions now do the three of you select projects between the three of you or is it just the two artistic directors and you support them how does that they, work they won't let me select, <laughs> uh, but I get a veto 
if I think the show is going to be too expensive and not sell. Okay. <laughs> well, what messages and themes do do you guys strive to convey to audiences through the projects that you choose? Obviously, every project has to have um, an LGBTQ message in it. Uh, before we just redid our vision and mission statement, and be- before um, we limited ourselves to plays that were clearly with with gay and gay and lesbian or bisexual, transgender characters inside the plays. And now we've um, expanded that to where we can do a play by an LGBT author, playwright, I should say, um, because we we recognize the fact that even if it's a straight play, if it is written by someone who is gay or a lesbian, the, the undertone of the play has that bias in it. Interesting, and, and so we have expanded to be able to to do plays like that. We haven't done one yet, but um, they are now on our radar. Wow, that's that's an interesting strategy. That's that's. that's... Uh, I, we we've had to look at it because we used to be the only game in town for LGBTQ plays. The um, the Gay and Lesbian Center had their own theater, and they did they did some, but. We were the only ones that were consistently producing three, four, five shows a year, um, sometimes six, but those were crazy and too hectic for me. Um, mm. but, but there's now so many different theaters who realize that putting up a, a, a gay play is a good way to bring audiences in. Our audience has changed dramatically in the last 10 years, um, 12 12. 13, 14 years actually since Michael Matthews and Michael Shepard took over as artistic directors because um, we used to be the, if you, if you look at gay theater from the 80s and 90s, if there wasn't major nudity and it wasn't sort of in your face and then it wasn't gay theater. And we certainly were, were known for that. We, the, the Naked Boy Singing uh, musical originated at our theater. Um, and so for years we were called the Naked Boys Theater. But uh, Michael Matthews and Michael Shepard came in, and they started to change that, and we lost some of uh, we lost some of our gay audience because they didn't get what they wanted anymore. But um, we started to gain a bigger straight audience, and I now ironically our um, audience mix is a majority straight audience um, of about fifty five to fifty eight percent, and the rest are from the LGBTQ community. So it's been interesting to see as we bring more um, straight people in to see their reactions to, to what we do. Wow, what an interesting flip. I, would have, I wouldn't have ever thought that, but that I, do you think that that's reflecting society and the acceptance of, of gay people? I think, I think this is L.A., so it's easier to get straight people to to be accepting and come see a gay play. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it is, I think it's it's the quality of our productions too that have helped them because um, our reputation is one of the top theater companies here in Los Angeles. And um, so when people hear about a show and they hear it's a celebration, oh, I want to see that. And word of mouth, Word of mouth is our biggest way of getting our audience in. It's 
um, it's changed a lot to where it's word of mouth is is forty percent of how we get the audience in. Let's talk. Let's talk about your reputation. Um, I'm looking at a list of uh, ovation award awards that you guys got just for last year. Uh, Boy from Oz, best production of a musical, best acting ensemble of a musical. Uh, Michael Shepard, best direction of a musical. Best Mata, best featured actress in a musical. Janet Rostin, best choreography. Michael Mullen, best costume design. And then uh, Michael Shepard won an acting award for Booty Candy. That's what, one, two, three, that's seven uh, ovation awards. That's amazing. And then you were telling me earlier that that last night you guys just cleaned up again. Tell me about that. Last night was the Los Angeles Drama Critics Circle Awards. And these awards are, um, the nominations are made by 13 of the top critics here in LA, basically. They see the plays, they get together and they talk about them and go over them and and come to some consensus. And sometimes they pick more than one winner um, because sometimes the the bounty here in LA is just um, overflowing. But um, we were we were very grateful last night for the attention. Um, it continued from the ovations, and we won seven awards again last night. Um, Best model won again. Michael Shepard won again. Janet Rostin won again. This time, our sound designer Eric Snodgrass won. Our music director Brian Blasky won, and our lead um, Andrew Bongiorno from Boy from Oz, who was this fabulous Australian who came in and a straight man who just became Peter Allen. Um, and, and so he was, he won the award and I, and we won best production again as well. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. It was, it's very gratifying. I bet. I mean, you worked so hard, you put so many hours into it and all that time raising money and rehearsing and, and just to have a payoff like that is wonderful and so richly deserved. It was it was a, a great run for us. We ended up doing seventy seven performances, which is almost unheard of in ninety nine seat theater here in LA. And we had a little over four thousand people come into a forty seven seat theater. So we were adding adding some chairs to fit the people in, and we had we had sold out houses for every night. Oh, that's that's great. That's a wonderful show too. I remember David and I saw it out here in New York back in 2003 with uh, Hugh Jackman. And what's great is that it has such a wonderful intimacy to it, The Boy from Oz, um, that I think it really translates well and connects with with audiences on an intimate level. And it was the first time it had ever been done in L.A. Oh, really. Exactly. After 13 years um, from when it was on Broadway, and I, I saw it twice. In fact, my, my son, for his birthday, um, right, right, I think the, the closing week, when they raised ticket prices quite high, yeah. um, he, that's what he wanted for his birthday, was uh, a ticket to go see The Boy From Oz, so he and I went to see it. I saw it in the fall when it first opened, and then I saw it when it closed, and the story's just so moving. And there, for, a, for a play about a, a gay man who, who comes to terms with it and, and, and um, gets AIDS and dies, which is, is a sad ending, it was the most joyous um, of celebrations. Yeah, and it, it ends on a really good, positive high note, too, yes. which, which yes. is very, very helpful. Now, did 
Best modded, did she play Liza or did she play Judy or did she play his mom? She played, she played Judy and she was brilliant. I saw when I when I saw Boy from Oz the first time, Isabel Keating blew me away because I had never seen an act an actor do the role and not look like a drag queen doing Judy Girl. Right. Um, and she was brilliant. And so my concern when we did it was I wanted somebody who embodied Judy Garland and not with the, the big eye makeup and everything else that, that you see. And Bess Mata, just, she blew everyone away with her, with her interpretation of Judy. It was, it was clearly, it was her and it was a, a tribute to Judy, but it wasn't, she wasn't playing Judy, Judy, Judy on stage. She was, she was playing this, this character that was a, a big part of Peter Allen's life. But she did have the typical where Judy would put her arm, her one one hand under her elbow and, and do that. And the audience immediately responded <laughs> to that uh, because it's, it's the most famous, I think of Judy Garland's um, deals, but she, she had a voice down for it. She, her singing was beautiful. And, um, she she portrayed Judy through the various years too. So she portrayed Judy as the um, the younger woman who was in Hong Kong when she met Peter, and then as she aged and then got to where she died, um, and and you could see the changes in her performance of it um, over the course of the show. Which which is a bigger risk for uh, an an actress because. Exactly. You're, you're, everyone, you, you go and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to get, you know, like you said, we'll just call her, we'll call her drag queen, Judy Garland, um, you know, with all the ticks and the mannerisms, but, yes. and, but once the audience breaks, gets sort of past that, they, they're embracing a character that ha- for which they can have empathy. Exactly. So that's, that's sensational. Well, you guys deserve every award that you get. You're, you're a wonderful, wonderful theater group. So, again, congratulations on that. Um, overall, not just LGBTQ theater, what do you think is an important direction that all small theater is taking right now? Um, well, a lot of it uh, is just starting to come up, um, which is reacting the writers are reacting to what's going on in our society here in the United States today uh, with that man who's the illegitimate president of the United States. Uh, I can't even say his name. Because Vladimir I, Putin? Still so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or Trump Putin. Right. Trump Putin, we call him. <laughs> uh, yes. And, and so you're starting to see plays that reflect on that. There's one going on right now here in L.A. that is called Transition, and it's all about that meeting that Trump and Obama had after Obama won, after Trump won, I should say. Mm-hmm. And what the hell was went, went on at that meeting? And so the writers have decided to tell what they think was this, was happening in that meeting. And I think you're going to see much more of that, where people people playwrights are writing stories that, reflect um the current politics i think we got away from that for a while clearly in the in the 90s and the and the aughts we were um a lot of a lot of plays 
for the gay and lesbian community, especially focused on AIDS and the the aftermath of what happened um, with with all the people dying and the government not saying anything about it. And so I think that um, that was a theme back then. Now I think it is moving towards um, politics and and how we're we're going to suffer. Mm. Um, that is the, the top answer that I get when I ask this question of everyone is the, the movement towards more political theater. Yes. And so, and so we're, we're doing, um, I know we're going to talk about, um, uh, our next project, but, um, we're doing cabaret for our next musical and our poster is brilliant because it really, it ties the Nazis in, but there, it's, it's just a brilliant poster. Michael Matthews is directing, and he's known for stripping the musicals way down and telling the story. And this time, he is going to make sure that people see, because so many people have seen Cabaret sometimes over and over, he's going to make sure that people see the connection between the 30s in Germany and the current um, things happening here in the United States and how we really are on a slippery slope towards um, a fascist state. And if anyone can do it, it's definitely Michael Matthews. He's easily one of my, if not probably my favorite, um, Los Angeles director. Um, he may not know who I am, and that's fine, but I am a huge fan of his, and I just tout his work all over the place out here. He, everything I've seen from him has just been absolutely incredible, and and of that vision, too. Yes. Um, what is What do you think is the best part of being involved with smaller productions what are the advantages of it the advantages are you you really do get to know your designers the the director the actors um you become engrossed in the the entire production as opposed to from for a lot of executive directors they're they're, they stand back and just let a lot of it happen but in smaller theater you can't do that you have to be right in there so uh, we're we have auditions tonight for um cabaret and and i will be at the auditions looking at the actors and um giving my opinion which which michael matthews will take into consideration although he has final say on on the actors that do go into the show so do you you all are there to support each other and nobody says that's not my job Exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's like I said, I have, I've washed the floors. I have, um, so I have let people donate to have, um, alcohol because of course we are an LGBT theater. Um, they like their, they like their drinks before and, and during the show. Um, and I have, I've, I've run box office. I have, I do the books for the theater and I, I'm there picking up programs if necessary, and, and so are the rest of my management team. They're, we, we jump in whenever we have to. We, have, we all have specific roles, but we cross over anytime we need to. That's where that financial background comes in. You can do the books and write all the checks and, and confidently deal with taxes, right? Exactly. <laughs> and and know, know how much more I need to raise. Right. <laughs> I think you're the... You're the second executive director of a theater company I've interviewed, 
and then I interviewed an artistic director, and and money is a very very big theme. It is. <laughs> our, our productions are getting more and more expensive, and we're in a smaller space, so to break even um, is very difficult on a show. To make a profit is next to impossible, and we we can lose twenty thousand dollars on a show or. Our current show, um, which is Die, Mommy, Die, starring Drew Drogi, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Bush play, um, it looks like we didn't we didn't raise any money for it, but it looks like um, when the run is over, we'll have just broken even on the production. Wow. So you can probably, well, I'm sure you could definitely identify with some of those examples I was reading off of at the big, beginning of the show. Absolutely. <laughs> Where you're like, been there, done that, and that, and that, and that, and that. <laughs> and still doing it. Right, exactly. Um, what should every theatrical artist, artistic director, writer, composer, actor uh, be doing right now to be relevant and successful in the industry? They need to be paying attention. They need to be working. Um, and if you're, if you're a playwright, even if your plays aren't being published right now, you need to be writing. And um, the actors need to be on stage. The beauty of the 99-seat theater community, which is under attack from the Actors' Equity Union, is that these actors, there there are so many opportunities for them to work because there's not that many contract weeks here in Los Angeles. So the the stage is available for them. And, And really, given how many actors are out here in L.A., and most of them are out here for TV and film, and some of the stage actors are here, obviously, for TV and film. I was in front of uh, Bob Greenblatt, who's the president and chairman of NBC here, um, and and the past president of NBC, and, and somebody from HBO and all that, and I stood there and I said that we need more support from them. They have all the money. We need more support from them because we are the true training ground for actors. Um, small theater is where actors really get to explore and, and create. And so I think that's important for the actors to, to get out there, audition, and and if you're not booking the roles, just keep auditioning um, and and do, do whatever you have to for a, a director, for a playwright, for an actor to, to listen to what's going on and um, create in, in one way or another. Hmm. Excellent advice. And, and that, again, is also another answer that I get to that question, um, where it's just just keep working, keep trying, keep keep working on your craft all the time. Yeah, it's that expression, I was an overnight sensation after 25 years. <laughs> I feel that. Um, now, a lot of people that aren't in California or Los Angeles, they don't they don't understand um, about the 99 seat issue would you be willing to sort of explain that to to them on on the show here i mean if you're not i'm I'm fine with that but no i'm comfortable with it we keep trying to educate across the country so that people understand the world out here in los angeles and and we are different from every other city um in the u.s because here in la there's over one hundred thousand actors within a 50 mile radius and so the 99 theater 99 seat theater was created so that actors could create their shows and get on stage. And it has been successful over the years. It has grown. The, the 
impact to the neighborhoods where we are is is has been quantified. It's it's we we know that we um, for every ticket sold, we're told it creates eleven to twenty two dollars in the community around us, um, and so it's 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 been under attack by um, the Actors Equity Union because they say every actor should get paid, and if you're not getting paid, you can't act. That was their goal. And they, it, would, it would have pushed everybody. There was a stipend that actors got, which wasn't much, but for nonprofit theaters who are faced with trying to, to do everything, it, it was a big part of our budgets anyway. And um, the, actors, the actors worked. Act, the union came along and said, no, actors must be treated as employees, not volunteers, and you must pay them at least minimum wage. And to do that would have increased, it increases your cost um, by a third or more from what it current, the current productions cost. And so there was a big battle out here. There was a referendum and the actors voted two to one. Um, well, is that right? 60, 61% voted to keep the 99 seat plan and less than, less than 40% voted to um, change the 99C plan and go to a, a, an all pay. So 6,000 people um, out here voted to keep the play the way it was and won the referendum, but the union chose to ignore the results of the union of the referendum and just uh, impose, after a, a, a waiting period, impose their new plan on, the, on theater, which was... Um, you have to you have to pay minimum wage. Now they did make a concession to membership companies that their their actors could continue to volunteer, which went completely against their whole argument that no actor should be considered a volunteer. But they heard the outcry and they created a special code for membership companies, which we all believe eventually will be taken away. Um, so we're, we continue to work uh, with it. Celebration was a th is a theater that has always paid more, um, not always, I should say, but in the past four years, we've paid more than what the um, equity agreement called for. And um, because we do believe that actors deserve more than they were getting. So we worked, we worked harder to raise more money so we could do that with the actors. And our goal is to um, increase that um, over the next few years. And we'll see, we'll see what happens. But the, the basic, basic premise of what the union said was actors are not volunteers and um, you have to treat them as employees. The actors themselves said, no, we are volunteers and we, these are, these are our homes. So the struggle continues. There's about 25 theaters here in LA that had to change over to the new contract. And I, I think 70, 80 um, theaters that were meant became membership companies and, a bunch of them that have just gone, well, we're not going to use union, union actors anymore. Mm. Which is a shame because um, it, it is the only way for most of the union actors out here to, to be on stage. So it, so this only applies to, to the union actors uh, who are in actors' equity and if you're going to, to do a show, then you have to hire all actors' equity, and they all have to be paid minimum wage. Otherwise, if they're considered 
a uh, a volunteer, then that can't be an actor's equity slash union performer, correct? Um, not not quite. The act, the union said you have to have so many union actors for the total number of actors in a play. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have any more than than two to four. The problem with what the union said is that if we pay one actor to be on stage as an employee, as a nonprofit, if we're paying if we're paying somebody to do a job, we have to pay everybody to do the job. Mm-hmm. So even though Equity was only concerned with their union actors. What they what they did with this contract is force um, a company that does use a union actor to pay all of the actors at least minimum wage. Wow! So you hire one one performer who's in the union, and it doesn't matter if that's the only person in the union, and everybody else is non-union. They still have to be paid that amount of money as well. Exactly. Oh, That's wow. the rules for a nonprofit out here in California. Well, and that must be. Well, I wonder how the Actors' Equity is feeling now that we have um, Trump in office and he's starting to yank away all of the funding for the arts. I wonder if isn't they're it, like Isn't it ironic that um, the union is now crying that um, their their resources are being taken away from them after having gone and done the same thing to um, the 99 seat theater community out here in LA. There is a bit of uh, smug satisfaction on our part to hear them cry. Mm. But um, in the end, it, it is bad for, it is bad for them and it's bad for the country to, to lose all that funding, especially when you see how much it's costing just to keep the family um, living the lifestyle they're used to. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, do you think that that will change anything, that they'll go back on their decision or reverse things? No, no I don't think that will change. I think we had we had a chance with <coughs> Kate Schindel, who became the president of the union, and she came out here and she did some listening to us, which was more than the others in the union had done, and told us, She's going back representing us. However, when she went back, she ended up just saying yes to everything. And so um, there, is no, there is no advocate for us in that union. And, and what's even more ironic for us out here is there are very few contract roles for theater. And yet Kate is out here right now doing Fun Home and taking away a role that could have been done by an L.A. union actor. Hmm. And, and she's, I assume she's New York-based? She's New York-based. Oh, okay. Yeah, I... I and, president, and president of the union. Wow. Um, uh, that, you know, you're talking about, like, that increasing your budget by, like, over a third or something. I mean, I think that's what you said earlier. And that, that can really, that can make the difference between complete success or complete 
you know, bye bye. We're see we're seeing it all already um, happen. Some theaters have closed. Some rental theater spaces have closed because the the number of productions is decreasing, mm. and we're also seeing the number of actors in a production decrease because um, some of the theaters are going to two person plays, three person plays. We're still doing twelve people in a play, which um, in our little theater, you know, is is hysterical to see them all backstage trying to, to move around right. but um the the theaters that have had to go to the minimum wage contract they've they've cut the the type of plays they do and the number of actors that are in it which is terrible for theater here in la i think right in a in a town that really doesn't have its artistic emphasis on theater uh it it this is not good. No. And, and there's nothing wrong with some of the plays that have two, three people or even one person. We, we've done a number of one person plays, um, at the flash being one of them, which, you know, I was at almost every performance and, and just have such a, a love for the show and for you and David. Thank you. Um, and then we also did Leslie Jordan did a one man show at the theater that ran for eight weeks and, and packed the house. And, um, so there, there's, there's nothing wrong with a good one man show or two or three people, but I mean, how many gin games can you do? Right. <laughs> no, I concur. I mean, you know, you, we need all, all types of theater. Uh, exactly. you know, you, it's, it, I, I, when people talk about like, well, I, I realize not everybody is going to like my shows that, that I write, but we need that variety. I, I tell people it's like going into a bakery, you know, you, you can't just feature, you know, lemon meringue pie all the time. You have to have an assortment for yeah. people to, to enjoy. And that's very true with theater companies as well, as well. Otherwise it's like, Oh yeah, they're doing yet another one-person show or another musical. You know, it's it's um, to me it's important to have that variety. At least that's the way I think. I I agree, and I mean sometimes they're not going to like the work, which is fine if they don't like it. I mean, if if we feel it's an important message to get out there, we we've done it. Um, sometimes I haven't even understood the the play itself. But I recognize the quality of the work and the message that is, is in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's not a question of, for, for us and for a number of other theaters here, of just giving them what they want, but also giving them what they need. Wow. Absolutely. Well, speaking of which, why don't you tell us what you guys are working on lately? What you got going on? Well, right now is Die, Mommy, Die by Charles Bush. And... Um, Drew, Drew Drogi, who is one of the um, star um, LA LGBT actors these days, he's just he's brilliant in his. He does a, a Chloe. What's her last name? Chloe Savigny. He does a, a brilliant Chloe Savigny impersonation, and and um, he he did a show for us in the fall called Bright Colors, Bold Patterns, directed by Michael Yuri, and it it was in New York, came to L.A. and did it, and then went back to New York and got a rave review in the Times and, and rave review here. Um, he is now playing um, the lead in Die, Mommy, Die, and it's a, it's a very campy show, but um, it's, it's just 
a lot of fun and packing the houses. And after that, we go to Cabaret, which is, um, as I said, going to be directed by Michael Matthews. And that will be a stripped-down version of the Broadway show. Uh, we're using the 90, I think it's 90, 98 version of Cabaret or 96. I forget which year mm-hmm. they, they made the changes. But um, he is, is going to take it down even more so that the story really is the focus. There, there's some wonderful music in the show. But he wants to make sure everybody gets the story of it. And this time around, he wants to make sure everybody sees the parallels to um, today's society here in the U.S. Uh, compared to Germany in the 30s and how we are, we are um, looking at the same type of things happening here that happened then. History repeating itself. Once again, great projects. And, you know, I am so gay that when you said the phrase, this time around, I thought, isn't there a song in Cabaret called This Time Around? And then I realized it's maybe this time. Maybe this time. Uh, (laughs) Yes. But you hear this time and you automatically think Cabaret. Right, exactly. Yeah, I saw the the revival of it a couple years ago with Alan Cumming reviving his role um, as the MC and Michelle Williams. Ah, yeah. I was lucky. I got to see, um, oh my God, I've gone blank on her name. Natasha Richardson. Natasha Richardson. I got to see Natasha Richardson. <sighs> and I will never forget that. It was just she and Alan Cummings and everybody else did a brilliant show. Um, and it was so sad when she died because yeah. she was becoming one of the, the leading stage actresses in, in, in New York. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, she was... She's from the, you know, the, the Redgrave family, yeah. and they're, yeah. they're, they, they do well. They've got some talent. <laughs> they, they, they certainly do. <laughs> okay, before we wrap up, why don't you give our audience your social media information? You, our website is www.celebrationtheater.com, and we always tell everybody, don't forget, we spell theater the proper way with an R-E at the end. And um, on Facebook, we're Celebration Theater. Uh, so look us up there. Facebook is becoming just one of the big ways we get the word out. Um, advertising has changed um, drastically in the last few years. And social media, our Twitter, and and, um, and they'll be happy I said Twitter because normally I say tweet or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> because it's be- sometimes it's beyond me. <laughs> um, but our, our Twitter accounts and our, our Facebook accounts and um, those are big ways for people to get to see what we're doing. And um, so those are those are the two. I'm not quite sure what our Celebration Theater Twitter account is. <laughs> <laughs> but we're out there. We're out there on Twitter. I know that. And um, but our, our email blast is another big way. And the only other thing that gets us um, ticket sales out here is, is the L.A. Times when they do a good review. But social media is the way to, to keep up with us, and that's either our website or Facebook primarily. I always say, what are the kids calling it these days? <laughs> I know. I go to my kids and I ask, can you tell me what this is? Right. Then, I, then I go back to the theater and I say, well, of course. I mean, you know, I, I know what it is. Right. <laughs> I know. My niece, who's 22, year old, two, 22 years old, is always like, you shouldn't be on that. You should be on this. And she starts mentioning apps that I've never heard of in, in my entire life. And I'm like, you know what? It's enough just to manage two. <laughs> and 
I think if somebody invented a Twitter, ver- uh, Twitter, a um, uh, an app that was a grinder version of theater, so that you could just swipe right and see, see what the next show was, I think that would be a brilliant app for the theater community across the country. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure what we call it. But um, I think I think it would be a great way for people to see see what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you should get on that and like hire people to do that because you know someone's going to listen to this and then before we know it, they're going to you know make a two million dollar app. So I, I know if I if I only knew how to make an app. Well, maybe you could talk to your kids about it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, Michael. Well, that's about uh, all the time that we have. But thank you so much for being with us. You've been a terrific guest. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed this. Oh, good, good. And and I appreciate you uh, discussing your point of view on uh, smaller, more intimate theater and all the successes you guys have had with Celebration Theater and clearing up um, certain questions that our uh, listeners have had as well. So... Uh, will you come back and be on again another time? I will absolutely come back and be on another time. And by the way, make sure you give my love to David. Oh, I will. I will. He says he told me to tell you hi too. I, I um, now that you've moved away, it's it's like come back, <laughs> come back, Shane. Come I know. Back. I know. <laughs> come back, Sean. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm a few letters off of that name, but uh, I feel it. I feel you. I totally feel you. (laughs) Well, I like to give shout-outs to shows that I recommend that are either current or coming up. And tonight's show, I am handing out a blind recommendation to any show on the docket for Celebration Theater. Every single show I've seen at this theater has been excellent. And I've seen several. And and going back to way before um, At The Flash was even part of Celebration Theater... um, there's always sensational onstage talent and wonderful, wonderful creative teams, directors, technicians. Like I said before, house management, as Michael was discussing, was so imperative and important. Um, just, just everything is just, I don't know, they just seem, you guys seem to capture the tone of what the play or the musical is trying to say. And that really comes through. And it's just, it's just wonderful. And, as Michael said, they are currently running Die, Mommy, Die by Charles Bush. It's described on the Celebration Theater's website as a, quote, a, quote, Greek tragedy on acid, which I love. That could be used to describe many of Charles Bush's plays. And they're, they're funny and they're campy, but they're also, they're also, they also have serious messages and, and uh, themes to them. And that's, that's one of the things that I, I like about him. It's directed by... Ryan Bergman, and it's, uh, as, as um, Michael was saying, it stars Drew Drogi, and I'm glad that you, uh, I, I, for some reason I called him Drew Droge for a long time, but I had never heard his name pronounced, but he is hilarious. Um, he, he's had multiple TV and stage appearances, and you might recognize him um, on uh, from Logo's Cocktails and Classics with Michael Yuri, which is hilarious, where they run a campy movie, and they they sit around and and talk about it. I love that kind of thing. Um, From what I see here, unless it's extending, it's closing this coming Sunday, March 26th, so get tickets because... We've extended. It did? Yes, we've extended to April 3rd now, and we are looking to extend even more 
um, possibly as far out as April 23rd. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Well, you heard it, folks. Now you have, you have, well, get tickets for this weekend and then go back when they extend. Sell out this weekend. Oh, well, geez, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we're discussing this. Well, now you have options and you have opportunities to go and, and see it. Uh, from as early as April 3rd to April 23rd. But make sure that you check their website. Again, as Michael said, it's celebrationtheater.com. That's theater with an R-E. We always make the, I always make the distinction here as well. And, of course, the uh, upcoming uh, will be Cabaret, and that's directed by Michael Matthews, who, again, I told you, I think is just a superstar director. I've seen his work not just at Celebration Theater, but outside of it. And he's just, he amazes me. And that begins, according to your website, on in May of 2017. Um, again, tickets and information at Celebration Theater with an RE.com. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the vows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. I'd like to thank my guest, the sensational Michael Chris Falusi. If you'd like for me to give a shout-out to a show in your area or a mention of your organization, please go to my Facebook page at facebook.com backslash your program is your ticket. Give me a like, shoot me a message, and I'll be happy to give you a mention. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week, and don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's a lot of great theater gems out there. And until our next show, good night, theater people, and curtain. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.